Hi, everyone. I'm Anne Helen Peterson, and this is Work Appropriate. So we've done a bunch of these My Industry is Broken episodes, and each time I'm struck by how the fundamental breakage in the industry can really be traced to the industry's origins. Like for nonprofits, it's that the business model is predicated on a workforce of married women who don't really need to get paid. And for tech, well, it's the capitalism, of course, but it's also the expectation of hockey stick growth, the VC funding model, the culture around the Wonder Boy founder, and the narrative that we're not a bunch of workers building a company. We're a bunch of weird misfits building ideas and innovation, and who needs an HR department for that? Tech is not the only industry that uses the mythos that's developed around it to discourage employees from thinking of themselves as workers with rights. But the way it does so, with the promise of good benefits and stock options and, I don't know, unlimited seltzer, is particularly pernicious. So to answer your tech workplace quandaries, I wanted someone who's been in the trenches, but also sees the machinations of tech very clearly, and now works to help others do so as well. She's a legend in the tech world in a very different sort of way than, say, Mark Zuckerberg, and she is actively working to change it, or at the very least, to provide workers with more protections within it. And we are so fortunate to have her on the show today. My name is Ifoma Ozoma. I have spent my entire career in tech. I, even before graduating from college, I started with two internships at Google on the public policy team and then worked there straight out of college and then moved to Facebook and then moved to Pinterest. And now I'm working on tech issues and issues that affect tech workers from outside of the industry. All right, so this episode is all about tech as an industry, like its failures as an industry. And you have a famous story about this. <laughs> uh, famous or infamous, I guess. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so as I said, I my last job in tech was at Pinterest, where I was recruited to be the second person on their public policy team. When I was brought on, I was told I would be an equal partner. I even had the same job title as the other person who was on the team. A few months in, a colleague let me know very kindly, an older colleague who had been at the company for a number of years, that she thought there was something fishy going on because she was able to see levels and saw hmm. that this male colleague uh, was several levels ahead of me, even <laughs> though we were doing the exact same work. Again, when I was brought in, um, it was under the guise of the same title. His title was changed, though, after I started. Yeah. <laughs> and so I did what not... I've never had rose-colored glasses about the tech industry, um, but I did what everyone's told to do. I brought it up with the team, brought it up with my skip level, who is the um, chief uh, legal officer, the GC of the company. I brought it up with HR, gave the company six months at that point to respond in any way, 
and was rebuffed repeatedly. And so then I hired a lawyer and the rest is history. What you did is under this umbrella of whistleblowing. And I think, though, sometimes people don't think of what you did in this situation as whistleblowing. They think of whistleblowing as like Edward Snowden. But whistleblowing is calling bullshit on what a company is trying to get past you in terms of exploitation in so many different ways. So can you kind of expand, like, how do you think of the term whistleblowing? Part of thinking of whistleblowing in a more expanded fashion, I think, is also understanding who a worker is and where workers fit into the system. When I think about tech workers and the advocacy I've done since leaving Pinterest, speaking very publicly about it, anyone can read about it in any number of outlets, uh, in my own words as well, in a number of them. When I think of tech workers, I think of everyone who upholds the industry. So not just the quote-unquote white-collar workers like I was, who's in a quote-unquote professional role, but all of the people who are in the kitchen staff, all of the people who are driving the shuttles to ensure that we're able to get to the office, all of the people who make it possible so that the quote-unquote white-collar and professional workers can do what they they do. And so for me, whistleblowing meant speaking about the conditions of the work that we were doing and speaking to the unlawful uh, conduct that was going on that not only affected me, but I heard from hundreds and thousands of tech workers after I spoke up Uh, who are in many different types of roles across the industry about how it affected them too. People who were in positions of less privilege than I was. And I'm a black woman, I upper middle class, I guess you could say. And so it's not like I have all of the privileges of someone in the tech industry. And yet I knew from the beginning when I was speaking up, that I had privileges that others didn't. Even others Mm -hmm. who look exactly like me, who have more experience than me in the industry. I've written about one of those privileges at the time, which was being childless. Yeah, (laughs) Not having kids meant that speaking up didn't cost me as much because my COBRA payment for to keep my health insurance and continue seeing the therapist who had been life-saving for me while I was in the role and after was only $1,000 a month, which I had to find <laughs> even though I had no income at the time, but right. it would have been two, three, or $4,000 a month if I right. had dependents, if I had a spouse who was on my health insurance. And I probably would not have even hired an attorney if I had yeah. dependents. And so part of the work that you do is to protect people legally if they do speak up. Can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, the work that I've done since leaving the company uh, is on a number of fronts. One was in creating the Tech Worker Handbook, which is an online resource, free resource uh, for anyone, honestly, in any industry, but it's geared towards tech workers. And again, when I say tech workers, I mean everyone from kitchen staff to the CTO of a company who is still a worker, because if you're not the boss, you're a worker. Uh, If you don't own the company, you're a worker. And so I want folks to remember that as well, that no matter how privileged you may feel, 
uh, you have more in common and you should have more solidarity with the folks who are contract workers and who are um, working hourly shifts around you, who you may not even speak to every day. Um, so that resource, the Tech Worker Handbook, focuses on legal avenues that people can pursue, speaks to uh, comms, because that's a big one. If you are going to come forward, and I don't um, believe in martyrdom, I don't encourage anyone to become a whistleblower because it's not easy at all. Uh, but if you do, you should be aware of how to engage with reporters uh, you should understand that reporters aren't your friend. You may mm -hmm. become friendly with a reporter at some point, but their job is not to tell your story in the way that you want. It's to tell it objectively. And so just understanding that is helpful. Uh, keeping in mind security. If you work for a tech company, you're working for a surveillance organization. And mm -hmm. so uh, <laughs> in most cases, you really do want to be careful about what you're doing, especially if it's on uh, company devices. And then the other part of the work that I've done since leaving was in securing new legal protections in California and in Washington State. In California, the bill was, the, uh, was called the Silence No More Act. And what it does is it reform the way that NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, and non-disparagement agreements can be used when a worker is pushed out. So I hope people will understand why I wanted you as the person giving advice on this episode, because as we were saying earlier... There are a lot of people that I could have asked to come on the show that would give kind of, I think, straight business advice here, but we wanted a little bit of a different perspective about, uh, you know, what is and is not okay, too, just like as a broad starting point. And I think a way to segue into that is to think like, as an industry, what is the major foundational brokenness of tech? I know this is a big question. <laughs> The, it's a big question, but I don't think it's too difficult because the tech industry is broken in the same way that our entire capitalist society yeah. is broken. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the, the ills of tech are no different than the ills of uh, big pharma and big oil. Um, and so in that way, it's not so different. And actually, one of the more depressing things that I've observed is hearing from friends who came from uh, big oil, who mm. came from large consulting companies, who came from finance, places like Goldman, where yep. their souls were broken down every single day uh, they were in their jobs, that they actually had an easier time in those industries <laughs> because there wasn't the fake BS, honestly, that you see in the tech industry, where um, in the tech industry, you're sold this ideal of a place where everyone is equal, where the benefits are so great, they're not actually that much better, <laughs> just being honest. No, um, they're not. And, <laughs> and, where, and where people are treated like they're all part of one big family, which is the biggest red flag on the planet to hear. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but there is this pitch that's made about the industry and even in specific companies like it was at Pinterest – being better than others. So the new thing is, oh, we're, well, we're not Google, we're not Facebook, mm -hmm. even though the companies are doing the exact same thing. 
uh, and it's more insidious because the culture is not to speak about it. At least if you're at a place like Goldman, you know what you signed up for, (laughs) you know it's going to be hell. And everyone is sort of in it together, knowing that their lives are miserable every day. <laughs> no one at like big oil is like, oh, we're a family. Right. Right. <laughs> right. And it, the thing with big oil, too, and it being so similar to big tech is in the extraction. The extraction yep. is the business model. Uh, yep. But in big tech, the pitch that's made both internally and externally to consumers is that we're making your lives better. What we're doing is good for the world. And so no matter what you're experiencing here, you're doing a good thing by existing in this company. Totally. And oil, it's like, this is bad, but you need us. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Which, which some big company, big tech companies are now moving towards. I would say yes. that Google now, more so than 15 years ago, when the tagline was don't be evil, and Google has yeah. since dropped that, uh, is being more clear about, well, we're in every single part of your life. Mm-hmm. So whether you hate us or not... <laughs> We're still here. <laughs> Same with Amazon, I think, too. Yep. Like, I think that it's so foundational now that people are like, yeah, you can hate us, but like, what would you do without us? I do think one thing for smaller companies that you run into a lot, and certainly I ran into this at BuzzFeed, is this kind of like boy genius founder, like, we don't have to have an HR department because we're building the plane as we go, because we're innovators, we're entrepreneurs. We're trying to get that big IPO, like all of the different rhetoric around smaller startups is like, throw yourself into it and like, maybe things will come up. We'll deal with that when it comes and leads to, I think, a lot of harassment, a lot of inequity, a lot of bullshit. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes to all of that. Uh, I mean, and all of the big companies that we know now started from that. And so one of the things that I think is most dangerous about being in an organization that's small and that wants to be big, because that's the case you're making to the VCs that are funding you. It's the case you're making to anyone else who is investing in your company that you will be big at some point is what do you do if you don't start with those fundamentals? If you don't start with a team that believes in, I don't know, following the law, <laughs> which which is something that a lot of startups are not doing, following basic employment law in the yeah. states and jurisdictions that they operate in. And so it, it if it starts bad, it will continue poorly and you'll just have a much larger company with the exact same issues that you had when it was 20 people. Yeah. Like, it's like the foundation is set up that it's going to be not just dysfunctional, but I think actually harmful, dangerous, and especially for people who are not as well compensated or as high up in, like, the pyramid, right? Like, it trickles down to affect all of the people who are contributing to that larger project, which that's capitalism, but I think you can see it very vividly in tech. Yeah. We could go so many different places with this, so we're going to start with a question. This first one comes from Jenna, and our producer Melody is going to read it. I work in content marketing at a tech company. 
we recently held mid-year performance reviews where no one on my team received a promotion or any compensation adjustment, despite very obviously beating goals, delivering above expectations, taking on new and challenging work, in my case, moving into a hybrid role on a new-to-me team. It tanked morale. Now we're being asked to deliver tenfold on already inflated goals and double down on work by our VP, and no one is into it. How do we start conversations about sustainability and finite resources from a position of limited power and influence at our company? I think we can start with kind of like the basic setup of this question, which is part of what motivates people in tech. And this is, again, I think, underlining some of those comparisons that you were making earlier to finance and oil is like, oh, well, if the growth expectations are ridiculous, it's okay if we're getting paid well, but if we're not getting paid well, <laughs> then we're not going to we're not going to stomach those growth expectations instead of like starting from the beginning, this was unsustainable. What do you think when you see this question? I feel so bad for whoever this is and for their team because even the concept of the resources being finite is made up. Yes. <laughs> you, you've been put in a situation that's artificially unsustainable, artificially limited. And then they hold this carrot over your head that, oh, you'll get a bump after we do performance reviews and yep. then yank that away from you and then add on two, three, four people's jobs to your job title. Yep. And you're sitting around asking how to make things more sustainable at a place where they've told you, we don't respect you. <laughs> we don't appreciate you. We are going to work you until you drop dead or you choose to leave. And then we'll just replace you with someone else who's quote unquote hungry. So yeah. we're starting, unfortunately, from the wrong place. That said, we live in a capitalist hellhole. Everyone has to pay rent. People have uh, kids and partners that they have to provide health insurance for. And so if you want to stay somewhere like this, I think you have to fundamentally, and this is so difficult, especially in our culture, but you have to fundamentally reframe your understanding of your own power within the company. Yeah. You are the reason the company is able to do what it does and to make money. And so you don't have limited power and influence. You actually have the most power and the most influence. But that means working with your fellow colleagues both in your job role and outside of your job role and getting together and really deciding that this is not something that mm -hmm. we're going to tolerate. We are going to demand <laughs> that either we are resourced in the way that we need to be um, or more people are hired because it's just yep. not sustainable to have us do more. And then if we're not actually going to get the bonuses that were promised for the work that we're doing, then what metric are we being measured against? And maybe completely reframe what the performance reviews are, because there's absolutely no point in having a performance review if you're being rated against something that you are never going to get. <laughs> like, there's, right. no, there's no way to get the bonus, no matter what you do. And yeah. so even if you do 
all of the same work, the same quality of work that you did the last time, to what end? Like yeah. there's no, you're just running in a wheel and you're going to get worn down and the best people who you work with are going to leave because they're still going to be really great workers. They're going to find other opportunities and the folks who either have no choice or have no motivation to leave are who's going to be left. This is something that I feel like we rarely talk about on this show, but it is so true that if you're in a crappy, crappy work situation like this, the people that are your best colleagues, like you said, like if they have any ability to leave, they're going to. And the situation's just going to get worse. And I actually think it's even more demoralizing to have someone come in and they're like all chipper and quote unquote hungry. And then you just watch it yep. get like sucked <laughs> out of them. As their spirit is broken down. Yes. Right? And you're yeah. like, oh, well, I guess this is just what this job is. I guess this is who I am. Like I am the person who cannot get out of the waistband of this company. Um, and that's really hard. It's really hard. And I think that you're right, though, that like the only way to actually push back is some form of solidarity. I think sometimes people are very, very scared off unnecessarily by the concept of a union solidarity does not have to look like a union it can look like right. so many different things right solidarity looks like the coworker who let me know that i was being screwed on my pay yep. that's we were not in a union there still is no union as far as i know at pinterest but there are networks of people sharing their information now mm -hmm. for sure why do you think that the tech industry is resistant to We'll just say solidarity more broadly. For the same reasons that Americans in general, even though we have a long history of unionization as a country and of worker solidarity as a country, uh, but for the same reasons that in general society in our country is resistant to solidarity. Every, not everyone, but many people think they're uh, one job away from being a billionaire. Right. <laughs> which is not the way becoming a billionaire works. It's not through working. And so, it's such a key point. It's not through working. It's never nope, nope. through working. Nope, it's through exploitation. If, and if you're the one being exploited, you're not going to be a billionaire. So, But there, there is this dream that you are going to be the boss. And so... If you're going to be the boss, why would you screw things up for your future self, even though right. your current self is suffering? And it's it's really sad. <laughs> and I think a lot more people are coming to the realization that they're going to grind until they die. Yep. Like we're not we're not living in a society where basic needs are being met for everyone. And so most people are going to grind until they die. And that is so depressing. It's so incredibly depressing that I think the only way to get out of that space is to form community with the people you work with and with people outside of work. So what's a way that Jenna could start this conversation with a coworker or with her team? We're all on the same page that what was done to us was uh, so shitty. So can we can we agree on what we want? Because figuring out what you actually want and what you're demanding of the powers that be is important. So do you want your performance reviews 
re- readjusted? Do you want to rework that whole process if it's not going to result in the bonuses that you were promised anyway? Yeah. Uh, if you're being asked to do tenfold the work, do you need to hire more people? And do you need to just make clear that these are the hours that we work, these are our job descriptions, and this is the work we're going to do? And so if it comes, if it, if it means that work's not going to be done, how do we bring on more folks to make the workload sustainable for everyone? Figuring that out. And if neither of those things work, then where do you want to be? This seems miserable. (laughs) And so (laughs) if you're here because you need to be, again, there's no shame in that. People need to provide for themselves, for their families, for their communities. And so if this is a job that you need to work, just do your job. Do not do anything extra. Right. Um, and if it's a job that you can leave, do that. Yeah. Like work to contract is the word within labor communities of like, well, just do your job. And that yep. doesn't mean that you're lazy. It doesn't mean that you're not as good at your job. It means that your employers have not been respectful of your capacity to do your job well, right? Like they are not giving you the tools you need to do your job well. So just do your job if that's what what needs to happen. I think one thing that you mentioned that I really liked is that when she reaches out to her coworkers, if she can say, what do we want? Like, what do we agree on? Instead mm-hmm. of saying, I'm so mad about this, who will come with me to complain about this, essentially? If you can gain consensus first, even if it's not about everything that you are personally mad about, even if it's just some of those things, then that will, I think, put you on the right footing. And in that, inherent in that, is checking your privilege in the conversations that Mm -hmm. you're having. Because like I said, in my position, I didn't have kids. I was able to speak up in a way that a colleague who had kids may not have been. I spoke to colleagues who wanted desperately to leave their jobs, but that meant three people in their family would have no health insurance. And so I had to understand, as angry as I am about this for all of us, I am not going to make you feel bad about not speaking up, about not signing on to things, about uh, not even being able to be in the group chat about this, just in case the company found out. That's great advice. We did it, Joe. Ohio voted against issue one. That means the future of reproductive rights is looking a little less bleak. Last week on Hysteria, Aaron and Alyssa talked about Ohio's win, Ron DeSantis's crumbling presidential campaign, and the Alabama boat brawl. Plus, journalist T.J. Raphael drops in to share a wild story about smuggling abortion pills into the U.S. in the 90s, which also happens to be the subject of her latest podcast. New episodes of Hysteria drop every Thursday. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Our next question is also about overwork, but this time it's in the name of getting ahead. This is from Sophie, and our colleague Ashley is going to read it. I'm a 30-year-old woman working in the biotech industry. I've worked at my company of 1,000-plus employees for two years, and it is the first real job I've had after finishing my PhD. 
I'm struggling with the fundamental tension between advancing my career by working hard and demonstrating my skills to my bosses and contributing to my own exploitation by ending up working longer hours than I'm paid for or taking on work that's not technically my responsibility. I want to get ahead, but I resent having to work for free and sacrifice my free time to achieve that. My company runs on a strange system where in order to be promoted, you're kind of expected to take on the hours and responsibility of the higher level position you want to get into and essentially do that job for your current lower pay for an unspecified amount of time until you are considered for promotion. That feels like bullshit to me. I like my boss and my team and the work I do, so I'm hesitant to quit and find something else in case it's even worse. I'd love your perspective. So first of all, praise to this person who is somehow coming out of academia with really great boundaries and really great understanding of what she's worth. That is so rare. (laughs) So I'm just like really in, in awe of that. But how common do you think this expectation that like, oh, you just hustle, 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 and that's how you can like even sustain yourself in tech? How common is that? incredibly common um she said that it feels weird or felt weird that you do the job of the next level to get it every single job that i had at google at facebook at pinterest they pulled that scam Uh, and i say scam because it is a scam you're doing (laughs) someone else's role you're not getting the back pay if you do finally get promoted And so you're just doing the work of someone else and they get that for free for the six months, year, two, three years that you're doing that work with the hope that one day you get promoted to guess what the job you've been doing. (laughs) So it's absolutely a scam. Um, I love the boundaries that this person is setting. And so I think you just have to decide what do you what do you want? What are you getting out of this job? Is it setting yeah. you up for the next role that you want? Is it setting you up for not a role, for running your own company, for being a freelancer? Like, what is it that you want out of this? And then set limits around that <laughs> because they've already told you exactly how this workplace operates. They're not going to change their system of making you do the work of the level ahead before you're even considered for the promotion. Um, and I think it's still important to raise that it's a scam to everyone who will listen, including your higher ups and your coworkers, but don't expect that they're going to change that. It, it's yeah. working quite well for them because it means they don't have to hire someone to do that work. You're doing it. <laughs> right. I had a a friend whose boss resigned and she just backfilled that position for years. And they're like, we just want, you know, to test you out on the position. No, no back pay. Right. Like, and then did the work like this was in tech and promoted her. And like, we're like, oh, it's amazing that you got promoted. And like, she did that job for two years. Yeah. And you're supposed to be grateful. And in an industry where in many cases your pay isn't just made up of cash, it's made up of stock in the company, you are losing out on the value of the stock that you should have gotten if you were actually formally promoted into that role. And so that's something that I think is important to think about as well. Maybe it's $20,000, $30,000, which 
is a lot of money for most people, but does not seem like that much in this industry. If you are a white collar worker, especially at a certain level, especially with a PhD. So when you're just running the basic numbers, it may not seem like that big of a deal to spend two or three years or even six months doing the work of the level ahead of you. But I want you to also calculate what are the RSUs that you're missing out on? Those are restricted mm-hmm. stock units for yep. companies that issue those. What is the equity that you're missing out on that someone who is hired into that role that you're doing would be getting? And then think about whether it's actually worth it to be doing this. So I really liked the piece of advice that you gave about looking at your position right now and thinking about, okay, what is this a tool for, right? Am I actually learning something incredibly valuable here? Do I, for some reason, really feel strongly, maybe it's like a standard in the industry or whatever, like that I need to have three years under my belt at this company before moving on? Am I trying to save up for a down payment and want to have real security for this amount of time? Is there going to be another big life change in my life for whatever reason? And kind of get out from underneath that cloud of like dissatisfaction with the job, which is so real to think what is the job for? What is my timeline? And just kind of get a little bit of that objectivity with like, okay, what's my plan here? Yep. And then I think it'll be easier to see like, okay, maybe yes, it will be worse somewhere else, or it'll be the same somewhere else. And even if it's the same, I one of the reasons why I, and this may be different in other industries, but at least in tech, Often the saying is the only way to move up is to move out. And so if that's the case for you within biotech, maybe it it actually isn't worth it to continue grinding at this company in this role where if you just move to another company, you actually would be in that role that they're trying to get you to do for free at your existing company. You work there for another year, 18 months, two years, and then you move to the next place. And I also think one thing that she could do is sort of like, she's like spelunking in terms of figuring out her options, is send out feelers at different companies to see, okay, is there a little bit better boundaries in terms of like, this is the work that's expected of us and here are the hours that we're expected to do it. Just more of a fit with her, I think, very healthy understanding of what work should look like. And so there, I mean, she's not going to find a unicorn, but she might find something that's slightly better and be able to set those boundaries from the beginning, which is often hard to do in your first job out of school, whatever level of school that is. Yep. So... The second half of our episode is going to be about the culture of tech and who fits in. This is from Alana, and our executive producer, Kendra, is going to read it for us. I'm a woman in tech who has been able to quickly rise in the ranks, mostly because of my department. I'm typically a team of one in the orgs that I'm part of. This allows me to be part of executive leadership conversations, despite not having the title or team to back it up. I've always prided myself on being very accessible and easy to talk to which I think has helped me and been valuable in the relationship building. This is something that is always noted really positively in my reviews. On the flip side, I sometimes get feedback that my personality is too casual and that I could, quote, work on my executive presence. 
I'm not ever given specific examples, but I've been told to mirror females who are not as outgoing or seem very one note or bland. While I totally get that some could get this feedback because they're unprofessional, you know, saying inappropriate things or taking up too much space in a room that doesn't allow other coworkers to speak and express their ideas. I know that this is not what they're getting at. I've even pushed for examples so that I can ensure that that isn't what's happening. I can't help but feel like this is a direct attack on me as a person of color, a female who's younger than my other colleagues. And it feels like an attempt to force me to act in line with the all-white, older executive expectations. I also know there's a double standard, as I've seen men act in very extroverted ways. But they're seen as innovative or creative, while I'm seen as too much, and I'm not taken seriously. These aren't actual terms I've been told, but it's definitely the vibe I'm getting from my manager. Outside of this, I get exceptional reviews on my work, am constantly lauded for my performance, but I don't feel like my whole self is being accepted in the workplace. Do I say something? Do I stay silent? Do I go freelance so I don't have to deal with workplace politics? Please help. All right. What is your reaction to this one? Um, I'm going to work backwards a little bit. Uh, yep. As someone who's been, quote unquote, freelance since leaving, uh, since being pushed out of my last role, um, there's workplace politics everywhere. And so there's no, there's no truly avoiding that. Uh, so I wouldn't think of that as the way to get completely out of dealing with other people's BS in a professional situation. So just think about that. And then sort of jumping around back to the very beginning, I think it may feel flattering to be invited to executive conversations. But if you're the only one not actually being paid as an executive in these conversations, (laughs) then I do wonder what your expectation is for how they consider you compared to the mm. other actual executives you're not right. you're not an executive that's uh, and that is just understanding plainly what they're saying to you versus how they're actually valuing you i think mm. is really really important um because they're going to say you're great at your job you do all of these things and then there are these little snide comments that they're that they're slipping in that I see you have an issue with, rightly, I do think that a lot of what's being said about you is coded and has to do with your identity. But the bigger issue I'm seeing is that you're doing executive work and you're not being paid or titled as an executive. Uh, And that should be the biggest qualm that you have because it doesn't matter what you model yourself after. Um, And and I do want to caution identifying other female colleagues as bland or one note, because there may be a reason why they're coming across that way. Maybe they've just understood that they're never going to be valued at this company or in the roles that they're in. And so they've decided to step back. And so right. you're all you're going to see is them doing their role and that's it. They're not going to do extra. They're not going to go above and beyond. They're not going to try to be quote unquote friendly with folks because that's not what they're being paid to do. So it, there there're number of things going on here um I understand wanting them to see you for who you are. 
that's just, I don't think a reasonable expectation in most workplaces. Uh, there are places where you can bring your whole self. Work isn't one of them usually and doesn't need to be, honestly, because you're there. Uh, you're exchanging your labor for pay. Hopefully the pay is adequate. Hopefully the pay is what you deserve. In this case, it seems like the answer is no, it is not. And so let's work on that first. And then everything else, sort of take what is helpful and leave what isn't. I get the feeling from this question that there's a difficulty parsing how much of the expectation is like be more part of the white culture of this workplace, which is offensive. And part of it, though, is also be more part of a workplace and maybe don't have the expectation or maybe change your expectation of what parts of yourself you want to prioritize being at work. Do you see like that's a hard one, I think. No, that's exactly what what I'm feeling about yeah. this, that like, I understand that you want your workplace to be dynamic and you want them to see and appreciate you for everything that you're bringing, including your personality, but they're not even appreciating you for the work that you're doing. <laughs> so yep. Yep. I, so we have to prioritize things. And I don't think that them appreciating your personality can even be on the list if they're expecting you to do executive work. You're rising up quickly, but not actually if you're not an executive, you don't have the title, you don't have a team, but you're in executive conversations. One of the things that I think is sort of uh in some ways demeaning to younger workers or people who are, who are earlier in their careers is the joke or meme that when you first join a workplace, you want to be in all of the meetings. And the older you get, you understand like not being in the meetings is actually what you should be aiming for. Right. This, this reminded me of that. Like, no, no, <laughs> you're you're not being paid to be in the meetings, but you're in the meetings, which means you're probably doing a ton of work for these meetings. Yep. You're doing a ton of work that you're not being recognized for either by, by being given a team to manage or by being given the title and the pay and everything else that comes with that. And so you're just doing the work and they get to feel good about having a woman of color in the room at yep. these executive yep. conversations, <laughs> even though the org chart, it, you're, you're nowhere to be seen in that top tier in the org chart. Yeah. So they have the woman of color in these exec meetings so they can feel like they have that perspective there. But then when she asks them for feedback, which she might be asking for feedback in order to see how she can have a title that would befit being in these executive meetings, they're like, Oh, well, <laughs> like this, your personality essentially isn't planned enough. They are putting her in a really difficult position and she's kind of feeding into it. Like the, the eagerness yeah. to be there. Yeah. And that is hard. Like we can acknowledge, like they are putting you into this really difficult position, which is like, be here, be eager, <laughs> don't get paid, be quieter. <laughs> There's no way to win. Yeah, There's no way to win. And so I say focus on getting the title or the team, whatever it is that you need 
uh, to actually be recognized as being an executive or in the executive team sphere so that it makes sense that you're actually part of these conversations. And then I think, too, as unfortunate as it is, as much as titles shouldn't matter and these companies pretend to be flat, they're not. Nope. <laughs> because otherwise you wouldn't have executive leadership as a title for people. And so understanding that that's the case, then just figure out what you need to move up and actually get the recognition at work that you deserve. And if that's not going to happen, then maybe take your skills elsewhere. Our last question is another look at this culture. It's from Gloria, and our colleague Reyna is going to read it. I recently started at a venture capital firm. This is my first time working in an admin role in the finance tech space, and there has been quite a learning curve. I've never worked with people with incredible wealth and everyone knowing all these unspoken rules. I grew up in a happy middle-class life, but struggle to relate to the team when they discuss weekends in the Hamptons or rides on their private jet. How do you recommend grappling with class disparity when it's ingrained in the culture of the workplace? And how do you recommend standing up for yourself in the workplace when people speak down at you because of your role and class? All right. So I just want to clarify because I read this a couple of times. I think what the question asker is saying is that she has worked in admin roles in other jobs. And this is her first time working in an admin role in the finance tech space. And the culture is what she describes. So have you ever experienced a situation like this? You, I know you went to an Ivy League school. so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, un- unfortunately, in my professional life, it hasn't been a shock for me because I went to a boarding school in New England. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I went to an Ivy League university in New England. Um, and so actually, I think in terms of class, Google was more diverse than where I had been for the uh-huh. last eight years, <laughs> as unfortunate as that is. And so I don't have this exact experience. And then I, I think there's, oof, there's a really nasty level of classism that comes in just because you're in an admin role in these companies. People do look down on admins and many of these conversations that they're having around you, it just feels sort of nasty that Mm -hmm. they're talking about this because they they know, they're aware of who they're speaking uh, in front of and what they're talking about. And so... Mm. I don't know that there's anything that you can say that's going to give people the manners that they clearly didn't learn at home or at school <laughs> or in their previous jobs. Uh, and, and so there's just that. But then also finding a way to, if this is a job that you like outside of this really nasty cultural piece, if this is a role that you need, for this time in your life, how can you block out <laughs> these conversations? Because yeah. at just 
as unfortunate as this is, I don't think it's going to end. Uh, it sounds like you're in the New York area if they're talking about weekends in the Hamptons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so this is just going to be part of the conversation. Uh, one thing that may make you feel better is a lot of this is bullshit. <laughs> a lot of these people are not actually <laughs> spending the weekends in the Hamptons at their own homes. Um, yeah. So just, just keep that in mind. If that makes you feel better, even a little bit, just understand that many of the people who feel the need to talk about their wealth are not as wealthy as they actually are. So this is what I was going to say is that these conversations are people doing the work of performing class, right? Yes. People, they are talking about it as a way of signaling to their peers and to you, who is also mm-hmm. their peer, their coworker. This is the money I have. This is the type of person that I am. Mm-hmm. But it's purely rhetoric and it's it's hollow. It is just class signifier. And I think like, this is maybe cold comfort, but like it is so performative. It is so pitiful in a lot of ways. Gosh. <laughs> like there's yeah. no, there's, <laughs> and, and that also is what makes me wonder how much of what they're saying is true, which doesn't matter materially to you anyway. Yeah. Um, and how much of it is bullshit, which they're doing to make themselves feel better the people who they see as their peers feel worse and you who they don't see as their peer, even though you absolutely are as even worse. (laughs) Like they're all of this is about uh, bigging themselves up when they clearly don't have the self-esteem to do that. So understand that that's what this is. Well, and probably in this FinTech, like these are probably, I think like lower level associates, Right. Right. Who are experiencing some of the most like soul crushing, like ego crushing work experiences of their lives. And so the way that they try to build back that ego is by talking about their leisure activities and their performance of wealth. So with that understanding, which I think is good mental understanding, when and if these people are shitty to her, how do you think she can stand up for herself or at least like resist it? Because I think there are ways that you can kind of like not let these people run all over you. Yeah, I mean, if they're having a conversation that you don't need to be a part of, I would step away. I would just step away. There's no reason to subject yourself to that. Um, If someone has asked you to come into a room for something and whatever that is is done, then leave. Or ask them if what they need you for is done and make clear that you're asking that because this conversation is not interesting to you. Yeah. Like there's there's no reason to subject yourself to the nonsense. Um, and then if someone actually speaks down to you, I would make clear to them to the extent that you feel safe and comfortable doing so uh, that you are there to do your job. They're mm-hmm. there doing their job. Uh, their job is made easier because you exist. And, and so you're serving a very important role at the organization. And just to make clear that that's the case, if you have, uh, if someone is actually nasty to you directly and you have HR, I would recommend speaking to HR about it because even though HR is not 
there for you is not there for any worker. You just want a paper trail of what has been going on because I'd bet anyone who is nasty to you has been nasty to other people. And so it's helpful to have that record of what is going on. But just understand that these people don't feel great about themselves because if they did, they would not be having these conversations. They uh, don't even like each other. So no, like there's no, no, you shouldn't they probably feel don't bad. Like themselves. They don't like, like themselves. Just baseline. <laughs> they don't like each other. That that's where all of this competition is coming in and one upping one another. And so this is not a circle of people you want to be friends with anyway. And so don't feel bad about being left out as horrible as that is. We like, that's something that we're hopefully told from pre-K on, don't feel bad about being left out, but it feels shitty to be left out. It just does. And so I'm sorry that this is happening. I'm sorry that that's the case, but these people are terrible. (laughs) (laughs) The one last thing that I'll add is that something I've seen used effectively by admins and also like people have told me in conversation that using this in their role as admin is if someone treats you as their personal secretary as like can you fix this for me like all sorts of things just be incredibly helpful at telling them exactly who they should contact that's not you yep like you don't have to be like this is not in my job description bro but you can be like i don't handle that here's who you should email to handle that usually there is a person And they know who that person is, but they're asking you because they think that they can get you to do this work for them. If it's not, if you don't report to this person, you're not their admin, then them asking you to do something, they should just ask another colleague. (laughs) There's absolutely no reason. Hopefully, if they have any sort of intelligence after you redirecting them once or twice... They will not want the extra hassle or humiliation of you redirecting them again. So hopefully that is the case. So this, I think, has been an incredible hour of advice. And I I don't feel better about the tech industry, but I do feel like (laughs) we have provided some better options. And I guess as an ending question, is there anything about the industry as a whole that gives you like a modicum of hope? Hmm. (laughs) <laughs> not <laughs> not about the industry itself, but honestly yeah. about people um, like you and the role that uh, reporters and journalists serve. And that 10 years ago, it was all about worshiping at the feet of the tech CEOs. And even if you were a skeptical reporter, you couldn't really get pieces placed Yep. that actually questioned like what is the harm benefit that's taking place here and we're getting more of that we're getting a lot more of that we're getting more uh, that's covering what the actual worker experience is in the industry and so the industry itself no still exploitive <laughs> still horrible still wrecking people's lives but the coverage of it is different and so i think that people are able to take a more nuanced view um both as consumers and then as workers within the industry of what we're actually facing the industry is not getting better but we are getting better at holding it to account slightly in some ways yep yes <laughs> where can people find you if they want to hear more from you 
Oh, um, don't find me is my, <laughs> <laughs> is my first instinct. <laughs> but, uh, yes, where can you find me? Uh, Twitter, X, whatever it's called. I'm on there. I think it's just my first last. And then Instagram, I share never posts because just no <laughs> anymore, <laughs> but stories. Um, and they almost never have anything to do with tech. It's usually uh, snark, the dogs, the goats, other livestock, sunsets here in Santa Fe, that. And then if you just happen to be in Santa Fe and we see each other, that's <laughs> another way. <laughs> I cannot recommend your Instagram enough. Even if you don't think you're interested in Goats and, and oh, really good dogs. I mean, you are. So I would recommend following there. Thank you yes. so much for coming on the show. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to Work Appropriate. We are working on a bunch of exciting episodes right now, and we need your questions. We've got one episode that's on your toughest management questions. We're going to try to stump Melissa Nightingale, who's been on the show several other times dealing with management questions specifically. We're doing another episode on all things about pregnancy and work and pregnancy leave and bereavement leave when it's connected to pregnancy. So any of those questions, send them in. And then we're doing another episode on creating a healthy and enjoyable remote work culture. It can be done. If any of these sound like something you're going through, head to workappropriate.com to tell us your quandaries. That link works best on desktop, just FYI. If you're using your phone, you can also email your question to us at workappropriate at crooked.com. Don't forget to follow us at Crooked Media on Instagram and Twitter for more original content, host takeovers, and other community events. You can follow me on Instagram at Anne Helen Peterson, or you can sign up for my newsletter, Culture Study, at annhelen.substack.com. And if you like the show, leave us a review on your podcast app of choice. It really helps. Work Appropriate is a Crooked Media production. I'm Anne Helen Peterson, your host. Our executive producer is Kendra James. Melody Rowell is our producer and editor. Alison Falzetta is our development producer. Music is composed by Chanel Critchlow. Additional production support from Ari Schwartz. And special thanks to Katie Long and Sarah Geismer. 